0: Welcome to series four of My Life in Design, brought to you by the DBA and design-focused PR agency, Red Setter. I'm Claire Blythe, co-founder of Red Setter. In this series, I'll be speaking to more people who are shaping the world of design, finding out how they discovered that design was a thing you could base a career around, and how they got to where they are today. This week, I'm here on My Life in Design with Sean Thomas, the Executive Creative Director of JKR. Sean's worked on brands such as Budweiser, National Lottery, Burger King, Domino's, M&M's, Heinz, WKD, Coca-Cola. Sean, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Claire. Thank you.
0: So can we start at the beginning of your journey Like when you were a child? When, when did you realise design was a thing what you could do as a career, maybe?
1: I don't think I realised design was a thing, really, if I'm honest, until I was at university, uh, which that might sound crazy because well, I'm okay. already at design doing university, yeah, yeah. but I don't think I'd fully comprehended what it was until the end of my first year at uni.
0: So, how did you get into it when you were at school? What appealed? What was there?
1: I, lo- I loved drawing as a kid. Like yeah. I just loved drawing. I was obsessed with I was obsessed with anything on TV or in culture that had like iconography. So I loved superheroes. I loved Star Wars. I yes. loved Doctor Who. Like anything with like a big thing in it, like a a symbol like a, like the batman symbol on a chest or like the tardis in doctor who like i i, I guess i was always obsessed with like things in culture that just people loved and yeah. I, I suppose i suppose it's a bit like you know the golden arches of mcdonald's or yeah well, you know, like
0: conveys and means yeah stuff.
1: and yeah. i don't think i realized it at the time but i suppose that was kind of the beginning of being interested in like branding and design like and i was i was obsessed with like I was I mean I was probably obsessed with Star Wars as a kid. I mean all I did was watch Return of the Jedi on, on Betamax video for about for about three years constantly. <laughs> Betamax video
2: is going back a long
1: way. going back a that. long way. Yeah. And I had I had all the books of like the storyboards for that and Jurassic Where Park. Oh did you? And I just obsessed over like the like the storyboards and the ship design and like how someone had created like the look of the clothing. Yeah. And I suppose that was when I started to be interested in like design and 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 I guess I knew that someone was making all that imaginative stuff yeah and I was thinking like oh wonder how wonder how you do that and that would be that would be a fun thing to do so I suppose that was the beginning of it
0: Jurassic Park's got such a clear image in my head obviously and most people's had to think about the actual the logo and the brand absolutely the the thing and yeah yeah Yeah, it was
1: that that. it was that era of like 80s and 90s like tv shows and and then I guess I'm my two constants in my life have always been a complete love of music and video games and I think they seemed like really interesting like emerging things when I was when I was a kid so I think I loosely wanted to do something in like an album cover design or video games designer or something like that but I didn't know at the time what it was I guess I just I knew that I this seemed interesting and I liked it
0: definitely I think Sort of, yeah, album covers. I've heard quite a few people say that's what first they first realized you could have a job doing that, which is quite amazing. Yeah, video games and all that kind of thing. I've not heard that many people talk about it, actually.
1: I was obsessed with video games. Yeah. like I remember we couldn't really afford um, any of the big consoles, but we got a Sega Master System like at the end of almost like the Mega Drives, like which is the more powerful consoles, like Lifespan. And all I did was like play Sonic the Hedgehog, I drew that's Sonic the Hedgehog. That. Like, I, I think as a kid, I realized quite early on that I didn't like putting my own artwork out into the world and having people like exposing myself like when I I look back at a lot of my art like I was really good at things like still life and figure drawing where I could copy something and I had notebooks at home where I copied things but when it actually came to inventing stuff out of my own head yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I struggled a bit more with that, and whenever I did creative writing or tried to write lyrics, they were always awful. And and <laughs> and, and and whenever I put it out there, like I'd be so embarrassed, I'd like almost like destroy them instantly. Wow,
2: like,
1: okay. I think back to like my art show at school, and I pretty much hid all my paintings under this like massive, like tarpaulin, like netting that you had to almost crawl through to find my artwork <laughs> inside you? it I mean and I think looking back now it's probably because I just was really paranoid about showing off like that yeah it's well,
0: exposing a certain part of your inner self though isn't it thats is quite a big thing I get yeah. that it's a big thing just to, to do
1: yeah I think I kind of realized I was happier like copying other things or like iterating on what was already there or like drawing from reference and I I, I guess I don't know I, I think then I got then I got given a second-hand camera that my stepdad didn't want anymore. That was kind of what, I guess, I also started to kind of get obsessed with, like, looking at the world through a lens. And I, I found yeah. that quite interesting that I could have a point of view on the world, but I didn't have to create the thing. It was, like, almost just documenting it and, you know, yeah, putting okay. a narrative together. And I, I suppose that was from quite an early age. I think I realised that I don't think I realized at the time, but when I look back now, I think if I look at things I did, I was always more interested in like having a point of view on the world and like directing it or, or kind of cropping it or framing it than actually creating it. Like, I think, I think an artist creates it and puts it on show. Yeah. And I think I always kind of knew from an early age, like, I was more comfortable being like the person behind the scenes or the director of it, but not, not being the person. Because I think it's interesting when I look at a lot of the people that have been on the podcast, they're, I'd almost say like they're kind of their artists in their own right that they're known because of the work they've done.
2: Yeah, um, to
0: a certain extent. Yeah, quite a few of them have definitely, and some of them yeah. are artists as well as graphic designers like Sarah Boris and people like that. But,
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I, I feel like I'm kind of the complete opposite of that. Of like, my wife says yeah. to me like, you know, you don't draw much at home. We don't make stuff at home, and I'm <laughs> like, no, I, I don't really. You know, like I. I don't know why, like, there's probably some deep psychological reason I need to go reevaluate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely.
0: I completely get that on the art side of things. I've always loved art and loved drawing, but I don't think I'm the best at it. And yeah. it terrifies me putting it out there because I think people would say that, which is stupid, isn't it? I should just do it. And lose all that.
1: Yeah, and I, I I guess, like, my my family always encouraged me and, like, said, oh, you're such a good drawer and, like, people around me and, he, in the village did. Be. But then I, I knew that when I went into, my, into school, and it was a very small... I mean, art was not championed at school, in the school I went to. And it was a yeah, very okay. small group of people doing art. But even within, like, a group of, like, eight or nine people that did art, and that was my passion point and what I spent... A disproportionate amount of time doing compared to any of those other people yeah. I was still in the bottom bit of art so I was wow, like yeah. I was like well if these people are doing it on the side you know in between things and they're that much better at me and I'm like and I'm putting my everything into it I kind of realized quite quickly like I'm never going to be the best painter. I didn't have the patience for it and I don't think I had the imagination for it but then I think when I started to, like, buy copies of, like, Ray Gunn magazine because of yeah. interest in music, and I was like, oh, people taking bits of type and collage and Definitely. screwing up, screwing it up and taking photos and yeah. mixed media. Like, that's when I started to be a bit more comfortable, kind of like, oh, because I feel like I'm using other people's stuff. And I, I guess I kind of started to be aware of pop art at that sort of time as well. Yeah, that's
0: really interesting. Um, yeah. That's, I think... Reminds me of that Polish air start to the whole things all around using that typography and that sort of way, Absolutely. isn't it? It's not going yeah. into it as the pure artist, but in a different sort of way. Yeah. But so how did you decide to apply for art school and actually go to university?
1: I don't know, really. I mean, it was, it was a weird sort of set of circumstances that were kind of led to it. Um, I wanted to do art at senior school, but um, there wasn't many things in the columns I could choose for my subjects that I had done at GCSE. So I was slightly forced into doing a couple of subjects for A-level that I, I didn't really want to. It's
0: crazy that, isn't it? You've got to make choices that early on that yeah. you have to do because there's nothing else in those columns. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I failed spectacularly in one of them. So it only really <laughs> left, it only really left like, art or English. Yeah. And I remember I got, like, I, I never had any moment like this in the rest of my life, really. But I got, I, in the mock exam for English, I I don't know what I did, but I... I, I just wrote out of my out of my skin that day and I got such a high mark that like I had suddenly the whole school descended on me wow. and wanted to talk about going to Oxford and Cambridge to study English. Wow, really? And like no one in my family had ever gone to university before like God, that's you know, interesting. and I'm not I and I remember being so scared by it yeah. that I just completely retracted inside myself. And didn't yeah. do any more work on English for like the rest of the year and wow, completely really? ran away from like the pressure of it. Yeah. And
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So
1: and I th- and I just went and hid in the art art department and just drew. Yeah. And and I was like, Oh, well, if I'm that good, I guess I'll be fine. And half it was a bit of laziness. And I think half it was also like just being a bit intimidated of like, oh, I don't know if I wanna do that. Like, yeah. like you know, I don't I mean, you know, being from a working class background, I, I don't think I ever really knew what Oxford or Cambridge was, but I yep. could tell it was a big deal because of the the pressure of everyone like yeah. talking to me about it. So I so I did art and then it was the year when labour bought tuition fees and they oh, based they yeah so That's, all of I, my friends meantime, went to university so, yeah. because they were like right well, this is the last year to go to university for free yeah but i wish i'd kept it but i remember there was a letter that gordon brown sent to all the schools because no one was applying for foundation courses and
0: because you couldn't because otherwise you wouldn't because be you went when, yeah, when you get course, free okay. education
1: and they sent a blanket you know letter out to everyone saying like Look, don't worry if you go to do a foundation course because no one was doing foundation courses they were like it won't harm you going to university for free the next year so I went wow, and did a okay. when I did, when I, when I did a foundation course and then halfway through that you then said I actually you've got to pay for your education now. Really? Yeah, which was oh my really God, which was really dangerous. frustrating. <laughs> so um, I mean in the grand scheme of things like you know I came out of university with only like you know 15 20 grand's worth of debt and in in, in modern day and age like, totally. I know that's absolutely pittance. But, I
0: got in just yeah. at, before that it was I think I was like the last year that you didn't have to yeah. didn't have to pay for so
1: Yeah. It's really yeah. I mean, even talking about free education now seems so so distant a memory. But um, so oh, yeah, it's I, a whole
0: different subject, isn't it? I could talk about that for ages. It's so
1: yeah. elitist,
0: the whole thing. But anyway, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <it's> so no, <laughs> I,
1: I really went to the art college uh, um, foundation course because I I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I didn't know if I wanted to do English, and I was still figuring stuff out. And like when you're, yeah. you know, there's so much pressure to. to Become a working grown-up adult when you're like still 80, basically yeah, a kid.
0: Definitely. Uh,
1: and I and I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I went and did a foundation course. And then, yeah, halfway through the year, Southend College pulled all the funding to the foundation course, so we just literally went into college one day and the, the doors were locked.
0: What seriously? Uh, yeah. Oh my god.
1: And we were all like, "What's going on?" And like two wow. of, two of our tutors were outside, and they were like, "Yeah, the college has pulled all the funding to the arts, and they're rethinking the course, That's and, awful. and we've all been made redundant." <gasps> So,
0: so what did you do what's the
1: well about a lot of people to be honest just dispersed and I mean there was already Got a lot of people dropping out so they of, all yeah. went to work in Tesco or the local pub or what yeah, have yeah. you and I just started doing more shifts in my local co-op but then a couple of we bumped into a couple of the tutors and I'm very grateful um one of the tutors was a guy called Derek who's now basically leading a lot of the education at Ravensbourne and I just bumped into him a few years ago and Derek reconnected Hates. yes
0: yeah I know Derek yeah, yeah. exactly yeah
1: He's wonderful and and he and a couple of other tutors, like Derek and Dave at the time um and Pete was, a, was the other guy like they just basically said, "You know if you want to still set yourself briefs and work on things, then we'll meet up with you in like a local pub or a snooker hall or whatever, and we can just help you out." Wow! Um, so so, that's basically,
0: fantastic to do that.
1: Yeah, so, it was really kind of them. They and they all went off and started doing like illustration and bits of bits of yeah. work.
0: Derek's um, at Ravensbourne now. He is. Yeah, he's yeah. doing
1: incredible stuff over there. Yeah, he's there, doing really like, cool stuff. Yeah, I'm working with him on a few things as well Are around you? like youth education at the moment. Yeah, like oh, he's he's really really good. Yeah, I love Derek. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, and to be honest, like we we kind of muddled through, and then eventually the course did get going again, but they'd got rid of all of the tutors that thought theoretically about art and design and ideas. Mm. And it was much more of like a vocational qualification. And there was like a local graphic designer came in from the local newspaper and it was all about you've got to get trained on quark and you've got to like put all your stuff into columns and grids. And if you can't do this, you've got no chance. Um,
0: How to create a newspaper ad or how to create a business card rather than the thoughts and ideas behind it.
1: Yeah. And then if I'm honest, I I didn't really know what I was doing, even the UCAS application. Like I, I applied to go to like Kent and Falmouth and Brighton and Norwich. Yeah. I got into Kent quite comfortably and I, I really liked Kent because it had loads of great gigs on, which is how I judged everything (laughs) at that point in (laughs) my life. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, I completely, I went to Bath and they didn't like me at all. Uh, and quite openly in the interview in fact <laughs> they? Uh, yeah they just were like why are you here you're not a designer like this stuff is just like fine art like you know this isn't graphic design and I was wow. like okay fine but you 18 know. you've got
0: of oh, anyway yeah
1: <laughs> and then I got a phone call from Falmouth saying like we're really looking forward to interviewing you new and I was like oh I'm in Bath at the moment like where are you uh, and they're like, oh, your interviews today. And I'd completely got the dates wrong. No. So I I lost the chance to go to Falmouth. So there was oh, quite a lot awesome. of pressure on the Norwich interview. Yeah. And then I was very lucky really because the, the person that interviewed me for the inter- at Norwich loved photography. And that's pretty much what my whole f- portfolio was at the time. Brilliant. And so I got into Norwich and then I was what a
0: great place to go though. It's a great university, isn't well, it? Well,
1: again, that was very fortunate because I again I bumped into Derek like on the way to the post box to post really? my UCAS form and I was gonna go to Kent. Uh, and I yeah. ticked the box to go to Kent and then Derek bumped into me on literally on the walk to the post box <laughs> and he was like, oh, where are you going? Like, you know, where did you get in? And I said, oh, I'm going to Kent. And he, I could see he looked a bit disappointed. And I was like, oh, wh- why Why are you disappointed? And he was like, oh, it's not a bad course in Maidstone, but he was like, I just thought you would have got on to Norwich and that's a, you're set for life if you get on that course. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, well, I did get into Norwich. And he was like, well, why aren't you going to it then? Yeah,
0: uh, but and if I, no one's been able to advise you in that way.
1: Yeah, least, I guess. Have, yeah. yeah. I just, I just liked Kent more. Um, so mm. I was so I, I remember just crossing it out and changing it and then went to Norwich and then, you know, <laughs> and it was the best, probably the best thing that's ever happened to me, really.
0: Definitely. I love those sort of chance meetings of like, yeah. Yeah. What would have happened if you hadn't? Absolutely. So what was Norwich like? Did you like it?
1: Yeah, Norwich was great. I mean, I made friends for life there. I think I grew up there. I went, you know, you when you're forced to live in a halls of residence and you've barely ever had to cook or sort out your bills yeah. or look after yourself, like university's great for just, making you grow up a bit really totally you know i you know
0: intermediate stage between yeah being a kid and real life adult stuff
1: absolutely but, yeah. and the, the first year of norwich was very much almost the foundation course at the time it was like you did a bit of photography a bit of animation mm. uh, and that was when we started to do bits of design and um the tutor from the from the second and third years at the time ray he set these briefs and it was a really, really interesting time. Like it, it was. It wasn't without its turmoil as well, because we had a, we had a really lovely tutor called John Riches, who who unfortunately passed away in the year when he was teaching our year. Oh
2: wow! Um,
1: so we were again like it was a little bit frantic for a little while in terms of like the curriculum, mm-hmm. and then, but it became quite clear to me that um, there was some. I, I knew I didn't have the patience for animation. Yeah. It's such. It was such a at that time it was all hand cell animation
2: yeah okay
1: wow, So I was I was finding ways to cut corners all the time yeah because I just didn't have the patience for it but I did love the 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 rigor of having to like direct th- through this lens I thought that was really interesting and I loved photography and I it's sliding doors man. I think in another life I would have done photography I love photography
2: yeah okay
1: but I if I'm honest I just couldn't afford it uh, it, the, wow, mat- really? the materials, the films, the developing costs—it uh, it was ch- so expensive, I, and I just couldn't—I af- couldn't afford it? it. Now, you know?
0: obviously, digital photography, and if yeah. that's the route you want to go down, it's all a lot more yeah. affordable once you've got the camera, I suppose, isn't
1: it? Yeah, I mean, it was costing me fifteen, twenty quid a week just on film and, like, you know, and developing. If you want to take more than that handful, and when you're at a point where you're figuring out how a camera works, you're yeah. making so many mistakes. Yeah, like that's at, that, a really good at that point, point like, you're it was all still like light meters and having to check everything so like yeah. half of my film would be you know thrown in the bin so it, i just i i realized quite quickly I, like, as much as i love this i just i need to come out of university and get a job i was yep. like i was like i can't go back to working in the co-op in south end yeah you know i've got nothing against south end grew up there go back there all the time and love it but i was like i, I don't want to go back to working like shell shelf stacking yeah and I you can like,
0: make a career out of what you're doing then yeah definitely and I
1: knew I didn't have a nest egg to fall back on like you know one of the only reasons I managed to really go to university was because um, my parents had just split up so because they were both on such low salaries then I I qualified just about for like a grant that meant that I got like 300 pound a year to like just help with my hall's fees yeah but that was that was at that time that was the difference between probably going to university and not wow
0: yeah it makes such a big difference, doesn't it? It's a. Yeah. I, th- I always think it's a bit of a double-edged sword having a nest egg to fall back on because I think if I'd have known I had, yeah, I wouldn't really have had the motivation to go out and do anything. Whereas
1: I, I knew agree. that,
0: yeah, if I didn't, if I didn't do it, no one was going to give me any money. So
1: yeah,
0: it kind of helps.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and I think honestly that work ethics just kind of carried on through really. Like whenever I worked in the in my local pub or the co-op or whatever, I was always, I always worked disproportionately harder felt like I was always exhausted at the end of a shift doing yeah. those things because I I just always felt like well if you're getting paid for it you got to you know you got to work you know I yeah. you know I've always I've always been that kind of person that probably works puts too much of their their work-life balance is a little bit unhealthy. work, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even when it was like shelf stacking, yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: fair enough. It's a good yeah. thing to have. But a good thing to realise you have anyway, so you can yeah. sort of check yourself. But um, So what happened when you left Norwich, basically? What did you look at? And what did you realise then you wanted to focus on graphic design?
1: Yeah, I think it was a project at the end of the first year that Ray set where it was like a poster. And I, we did this thing and... I honestly can't remember if I came up with the idea or whether I was very much fed the idea to get me going. I, I'm, I'm never quite sure if I have I remember it really. Yeah. But there was this. It was this thing, and the brief was we had to do a poster for this art drawing class, and the the name of the class was like drawing for the terrified, and it was all about beginners art classes. Yeah. And I remember the poster I did was it looked, it was like a leaflet and it looked like a pencil and a very small rubber and yeah. a pencil had been worn down. But when you open the leaflet out, it was basically a very short pencil with a ridiculously long rubber on the top of it. Kind of Im- <laughs> really kind of implying that. that like, you know, you're it's a
0: lot of
2: mistakes. you're going to be
1: so scared of like drawing, <laughs> you're going to need like a massive rubber to like. Yeah, it, it doesn't really work when you kind of analyse it for too long. But as a joke, it, <laughs> I like uh, that. but I, I think I got like, like almost like a dopamine hit from it straight away of like, yeah. oh, this is interesting. Like I can kind of, almost like crack a joke or make an observation yeah. and do it just through like simple manipulation of like type and imagery.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, yeah, and then I guess the projects I did at uni that seemed to go down the the best really were like the big and brash stuff. Like I've never been a very subtle designer. I mean, as you can see from the list of brands i worked on, like, I've, and the, my influence have always loved big mainstream things.
2: Yeah.
1: So I remember this student project I did where I did like an Aquafresh um, redesign and it, looked, I curved the corners of the box so it actually looked like a giant bit of toothpaste on shelf.
0: Oh cool, okay. And that
1: put me on the radar and I got quite a few business cards of like a lot of packaging agencies at the time.
2: Interesting.
1: And I think I had like five or six cards left for me yeah, at the degree show saying like you know we love this one particular project we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, and I and I had a few interviews. I came to JKR and I screwed up that interview. Did you? Really so badly. That was
0: one of the first interesting. Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, was that with Ian Ritchie and everyone? Or was no,
1: no, it wasn't actually. I've often tried to remember um, who who it was that interviewed me. She, she doesn't <laughs> work here anymore, but um, and it could have been one of a few people at that time. But yeah, I, I made some comment about um, yeah I don't want to go to one of those companies that just does big bold brands all the time i want to go somewhere <laughs> boutiquey and like and then JK she, yeah and she was like well you know you should maybe turn around and do your research next time and i turned around and on the shelf behind me was literally a wall of like all <laughs> Big the biggest gold. brands on the planet <laughs> basically and i was like oh you, you couldn't go on a website back then and like do your research because there wasn't yeah, websites that's true. so you how'd know how'd
0: you find out other than
1: yeah other than going through dnad of which i wasn't aware of at the time yeah like there wasn't really a Way, uh, the only way you found out was by just talking to people or yeah, someone totally. recommending. Yeah, So my friend Kevin from university got a job at the Partners and then he'd gone for a job at Pell Fisher
2: mm-hmm.
1: and said, I'm taking a job at the Partners, but you should go and have a chat with them. I think you'd like them. Oh, uh, so and that's I that's how
0: you first found out about Pell Fisher? Yeah, right? and I just
1: went there and and they weren't actually going to hire me, to be honest. Um, but then Cody Porterfeld offered me a job and then Carter Wong offered me a job.
2: Oh, and then I remember
1: my, my boss at the time, Sean Bowen, said, well... Those those are two good companies, and if they want to employ him, that they must see something in him that I don't. So then he offered me a job. I mean, Brilliant. no short, I never know whether or not he was just joking or whether or not there's a certain amount of truth to that.
0: Yeah, I suspect there probably well. is. He
1: was like, I wasn't going to employ you, but then all these other people were going to, so you yeah. know, I got a bit jealous. So I decided maybe we should employ you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was there was a really interesting company at the time. Like they they just done this this thing for Absolute with the Mandarin. They painted the inside of the bottle. Orange. So oh, really? that through okay. on shelf it looked like the the bottle of vodka actually had an orange inside it. Oh so the bottom the, the very p- the pump, bottom of yeah, the yeah, the, cur- okay, the curved I pump. That. They'd sprayed it orange. Yeah, looked
0: really
1: cool. It was really cool. And when I went there, like Sean spoke to me about it, and they'd been working with Absolute for two years to find a production plant that could do it. Wow. And it had taken two years of trial and error to find a way to do it. But they you know it's a real it's a it's a real shame that it's still not around because it was yeah, it was such really- an icon on shelf and like no one else ever managed to figure out how to do it. Loads of people tried and copied it, but they couldn't. And I just felt that there was something happening there, like the energy in the studio was great, the rapport between the people yeah, that interviewed, okay. they were having a great laugh, and I just felt that like even though those other companies had a better name at the time, yeah, it, it just felt like something was happening. And I love an underdog, you know, so I, I, I felt that even though it was like literally half the money of, of, of some wow. of the others, it was I was like, wow,
0: that's a brave choice. Yeah,
1: I just felt like something was happening there, like, and I I could learn from Sean and um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's so. How long were you there for? How long were you at Pearl Fisher?
1: Seven years. Wow,
0: was it seven years? Yeah, okay. I was there.
1: Yeah, there, there for seven years. Um, I loved every minute of it. Really, I got to travel the world. I was very lucky as well because I, you know, I'd never really travelled. I mean, I, yeah. I, I was that guy who, I, I always say to people like, don't be afraid to ask stupid questions because I asked a lot of stupid questions. Yeah, like I, really I was
0: important.
1: Almost every job I was put on was a case of me looking at this going, well, I don't know what whiskey is or I don't know what this is or like hot sauce from Cuba, where's Cuba? And and, like almost like every single project was me having to go and like, almost be like, you know, Neo in the Matrix and plug myself in and download a crash course in it because I just didn't know what half the projects I was working on were. And like, I basically learned about like, social etiquette and restaurants and where you know what London was like and travel and yeah. how to get a passport and everything really through like
2: Yeah of course not there.
1: just
0: not just the work projects but how to get a passport and things like that but like yeah of course
1: And just you know it, it was quite experimental as well like I remember like I had these I, I taught myself a little bit of coding at university in my spare time Wow, really? Just a little bit, like really bad basic HTML and a little bit of Java. Yeah. Um, But because just no one knew much about it, like I remember being given like the redesign of the Havana Club Global website at a time when there just wasn't like a web agency. Wow. And, And it was a, it was a car crash of a project like it barely worked <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed they paid us for it but because I think no one knew how to do it any, any better
2: yeah everyone was
1: just like well at least someone's done something yeah, uh, yeah and yeah. It, so it was kind of an era of like figuring stuff out on the job definitely. like that you know there wasn't as many processes and like it, it definitely felt like an era of people like figuring stuff out and things like that absolute yeah, pun and the website it did feel like we were doing things for the first time a, yeah. lot, a lot of the time it was really exciting
0: Yeah, that's really cool. That's so so was it you moved on to the core from there, was it?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I I met Ali who ran the core. Do you remember? Yeah, 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 of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um God a long, long time ago. I think he moved over to Australia, yeah he's he's long
1: yeah, he's been over there for a few years, I believe. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah.
0: But so how did that happen? Was that, so they were based up in Hull, weren't they originally? Well, they they, they they had a London branch as well. Yeah,
1: they basically like ran out of Hull and they worked on the Asda account mainly. But yeah. then they were getting more and more work with Unilever and they ran out of London.
0: Yeah, okay. That's when the Marmite stuff. All That's came right. Up yeah, it was the, the Marmite Guinness. And all yeah. that. Yeah. Okay.
1: And yeah, I I don't know, I don't honestly know sometimes why I left Pellfisher when I did because <laughs> I I, mean, I was genuinely like distraught leaving there. I loved it. I just felt that maybe I I, I think I'd started to realise that maybe I wasn't the type of designer that's very good at making things look very good. And I think yeah, there's okay. different types of designers. There's like conceptual designers or practical designers or very, you know, ordered and, you yeah. know, kind of process designers. And I, I kept wanting to be put on like the Fortnum & Mason's jobs and the niche startup jobs and all of the sort of sexy waitrose jobs yeah. that all the designers were fighting over. But whenever i was on them like i could tell that my work wasn't as good as some of the other designers around me wow, and it okay. wasn't getting selected and then i noticed that like no one was really caring about stella artois or coca-cola or anything like that so the
0: big mainstream brands yeah you can make a real difference on and people really so I, sta- it. I started doing mm.
1: more of that really and then and then i remember i mean the reason why i left Pearl Fisher was like partly i've been there seven years and i felt like i kind of felt like i just needed a change but yeah. also very pettily I just my friend was living in Japan at the time and he wanted me to go and visit him and I couldn't get any time off because I was so busy at work yeah so enough. I literally quit so I could go to Japan <laughs> for like two weeks on holiday was um, very, it was it was very petty but like the core I think at
0: that age I probably would have done a similar sort of thing <laughs> yeah
1: like um and then the you know and I had a friend who worked at Pelfisher that had gone to the core and he was like I'll come over here and and I I don't know if I ever thought that the core was going to be like a long-term thing or not but it was like it was it was an excuse to leave and yeah. go somewhere and see how it went.
0: Yeah, 7 um, years is a long time in a job at that age as well isn't it? So Exactly. Going somewhere and doing something different.
1: And yeah, if I'm honest, I I had a pretty miserable time at the core. Wow, like, really? Yeah, I didn't What
0: happened? What's the
1: Well, I was there for a year and a half, but like structurally the way it worked was like everything went through like the founders and I I think at Pell Fisher like Sean Bowen was traveling so much and Jono was and Mike and Karen were all great at like delegating and leaving you to to find your own path yeah so I was always busy at Pell Fisher and I felt like in charge of things but at the core you you just sat around for two days of the week waiting for the creative directors to come back and tell you what to do
2: yeah and then they'd art direct
1: what they what they wanted you to do so half my week was just sat around waiting to do stuff and then the other half of the week was like literally working like 14 hour days to like yeah. get some work done because like there was, because you only had a day to do the project. And and I started to feel like my confidence really took a knock there. It's you, would
0: wouldn't it? If you could check everything, can they change it? And
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, I think as well, like I started to get bored and distracted. Like I started up my own music website when I worked there. Cool. I started writing video game reviews for people. Yeah. And because I was almost like, I was having to find something to, get interested in because the work wasn't really interest interesting me yeah and then i'd been saying for a while that the structure of the company was so broken there was like seven design directors and one junior designer it was all a little bit weird but basically i'd also been pushing for like an appraisal process to kind of so people could kind of feed get fed back on their work
0: wow so you didn't have any appraisals? didn't have any appraisals
1: or anything Or there was no there was no like there was no job description there was no appraisals no nothing it was just everyone come to work do stuff and go home god that's Um, really
0: hard Uh, yeah yeah i worked at a place like that and it's not really good for
1: no it's a completely flat structure but it meant that basically you had design you had people that were like 20 years experience of doing spirits who were being bossed around by someone that was a little bit more vocal and loud than them who had like two years out of college and stuff. And yeah, and like if they were, if their point of view was good or they were saying something interesting, I could kind of understand it. But it was just, it was all just a, I, a I don't know, it was a bit of a mess, if I'm honest. Yeah. And yeah, and then I after reluctantly, uh, well, basically after pushing for years and years and years, like you should do appraisals and proper like job structure, like yeah, I, I, they gave me this appraisal and it was like, it, it was, it was basically such a, Basically, like character assassination. Wow! Uh, and and and
0: that's really sad. That's awful. That
1: yeah. It took me it took me a little while to kind of like almost like yeah, come to that. terms with it. In a while, mm. for a while, but um, you know, and I've never told anyone this. I'm. I think I can probably talk about. it. I don't think I've got any yeah, documentation <laughs> that says I can't. <laughs> I can't see
0: why but, not. A long time has gone since, I, and everyone's I, doing different things. And I don't but. think
1: there was anything particularly malicious in it. I think they just didn't know what they were doing and how to be constructive. Yeah. So I think it was just like. You know, so some of it was completely fair, of like you know you don't seem motivated, you, you seem bored, and I'm like, well, I'm sitting around half the week not doing anything, like you know, and yeah, and I and I think some of it actually was looking back was pretty fair, where I was, they were like, you know, you're you were like this really great, inspired, excited designer, and now you're just like playing darts every day in the studio. I'm like, well, it's because there's not much else to do after. Well, the time. yeah, if
0: there's nothing else to do. That's the... but some of
1: it did definitely did veer into the personal, and that was when actually. I'm very grateful though. Like at the time it really ruined my confidence. But and I remember a few people from the company came up to me afterwards had overheard some of it and were like, Look, you know, if you want us to back you up and you want to take it further, and I was like, I don't want to take further, I just want to go. Yeah. And I remember like this happened on either like the Monday or the Tuesday. And then by the Thursday I'd left.
0: God I think and, knowing when to move on, knowing when to quit, and it's something it's not for you. Yeah being really dogged about it and staying at a place and no matter what happens I think it's a mistake really isn't it so yeah it's a good thing just to get out sometimes
1: yeah so I literally went freelance and I just used the same portfolio I had from when I left Pell mm. I think I've only ever done a portfolio like twice in my career basically yeah um probably because I hate looking at what I do all the time <laughs> but um yeah so I and so then what I,
0: sort of thing did you do then or did you just get in touch with lots of people and yeah I just I just I mean
1: I, I instantly emailed Pell because I guess that was a safety net of like look if you need my help like yeah I'll come back but I Knew that long term, yeah, it wasn't, well, it wasn't where I was going to go. Yeah. But I didn't have enough savings to fall back on, so I was like, I'm going to have to get work pretty quickly. Mm. And I just started by just emailing the six companies in London I wanted to most work with at the time, yeah. and then pretty much all five of the six got back to me within like ten minutes, going like, "We'd love you to come in." So I was Brilliant. like, so thankfully, I don't think that even though I had nothing to show for my time working at the core, really work wise, yeah, I, I felt like with the work I still had from my time at Pell Fisher like it.
0: It's recent enough to be really relevant as well. Yeah. yeah. So I went
1: to lots of little companies that don't really exist anymore. Uh, Design Bridge got me in for like a massive stint there and I had a great summer working there and I loved it. Yeah. And then I was pretty close to taking a job there. But then I came into JKR and, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I Design Bridge at the time, I think, had the more hot clients. It was doing the, the cooler work. It was winning more awards. Yeah, okay. It felt like there was a better kind of like like social culture there this
0: is like 13 years or so ago. yeah 13 yeah, okay. 14 years ago yeah. and
1: it was also the summer of like one of the world cups so they just had football on on every wall and <laughs> okay. everyone's just sitting around drinking at like 11 <laughs> a.m. watching football and i was like this is pretty awesome
2: really yeah cool. like
1: so i was like this is this is amazing mm-hmm. and i had a really good summer there but i guess i was slightly concerned because a bit like at the core there was just like periods of like boom and bust where there'd be days when i'd be waiting for a brief and not doing stuff yeah, okay whereas when i came into jkr it was like a well-old machine and it was like there was always yeah. a brief there was always someone to talk to there was always a team to work with yeah and i just got the feeling that even though the work was really hot at design bridge at the time like yes. i needed structure in my life at that point definitely and then i met ian and john and daniela and like Daniella was like like so welcoming and lovely and just like come and work you know come and work here I love you like you're you're yeah. great and then I could I met John and I could tell that he was a completely different character Daniella but I could learn so much from him and I and I still am to this day yeah and then Ian I just felt like yeah in, in the interview I was like I can really learn from this guy and he's, I thought yeah he's great yeah, so I can
0: imagine you can just learn a lot from him and yeah. Absolutely. He's
1: kind of got that aura around him where yeah, you're like, really has. I'm going to, I'm going to basically learn stuff off of this guy. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. So that's over the last 13 years. Has is, is it changed much? Is it, obviously you've moved locations to Shoreditch where you are now. Yeah, what's it's, the, it's a
1: completely different company, if I'm honest. That's the vibe like, I and I'd say it's probably been a three or four different companies in that time.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Like
1: when I joined, it was very much like a packaging agency that was, almost teetering on r- rollout at, you know, 50% of the work we did was just Good massive point. rollout.
2: Yeah, okay.
1: And we did nothing but packaging. Yeah. And it was all for like local British brands, like kind of McVitie's, yes. Hovis, yeah, uh, okay. Boddington's. It was all...
0: Great the, British brands. Yeah, great British brands, basically. The Big Globe, not M&M's and that no. kind of the reach and that sort of, yeah, absolutely.
1: And then I think bit by bit, we, we started to kind of win more of that work so we won budweiser uh, yes. in a big pitch and i was freelancing at the time and that's when they said oh do you want to stick around and you know be the dd on it so brilliant you know that was when i sort of stuck around and and i think the Turner duckworth coke work was very influential as well i think a lot of us when we saw that i love that you know they the, the fact that they'd gone from what we thought was a packaging agency to suddenly doing the whole brand identity yeah it, it kind of awoke that bit in me that Pell Fisher had done, which was like, it's more than just the the packets, like the Definitely. world around it. And then Ian was very much on a mission to, you know, I want to grow, I want to be in a bigger office, I want yeah. I want you all to be paid well, I want to be proud of what we do. And like, yeah. you know, the way we're going to do that is by doing more global work and expanding.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: My, my point of view was always that if, if we can, as, as we as a business have to like figure out how to encapsulate your whole brand on a very small label.
2: Yeah. And
1: in that, you've got to to be able to tell from that how premium you are, what price point you are, what your history is, the stories. Yeah. You've got to have like distinctive ownable color palette. You've got to stand out and get noticed. Like, you have to do so much hard work in that tiny little space. Yeah. So if you can do that... You can then totally do that on social media. You can totally yeah. do that on the poster. You know, those those things are transferable. And my point of view was always that it's easier for us to go that way almost than it is for an ad agency to take a three-minute film and try and cut it down to, like, something that works in, like, two seconds.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. So you've yeah. basically changed what you do at JKR from being pure pack design yeah. to every touchpoint a brand has. Just yeah. so with, by touchpoint, I mean, it could be... Outdoor as it could be social, Absolutely. it could be.
1: Yeah, so I'd say like packaging is still like probably 40, 50% of the work we do in some form or another. Yeah. But 50% of the business now is like corporate branding, it's like brand experience. We're doing like campaign identities, we're doing out of home campaigns, we're doing spatial activations. Yeah, brilliant. We're doing takeovers of like shops and partnerships. Like it, it feels more like a full service design agency these days yeah like it, I like that you know and a big part of that was down to like Tosh coming in um, course, like yeah, in headhunted Tosh and like his way of presenting work and thinking about work was just so expansive that it kind of like blew all our minds and
0: wow that's brilliant
1: yeah like it I, I think that was when yeah my role changed here when like we saw what Tosh had done in New York and yeah. there was a group of us at the DD level and we all looked at it and were like Oh wow! Okay, yeah, this is really like next level work. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and that's that, really exciting. That yeah, his work on Budweiser and Dunkin' like unlocked a lot of other opportunities for us to then you know do what we were doing.
0: Yeah, the Dunkin' work was really good.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. that's
0: really it's, yeah, it's really exciting shift of what's the what's the favorite bit of what you do in your job today? What's the?
1: I still just really love seeing people create stuff. I like. I've realised that making things look aesthetically good is not what i'm good at yeah so my i i feel like my job is to create the environment for other people to succeed in so that's i think
0: perfect as ecd isn't it that's
1: yeah, yeah that's like it's it's a weird one really because I, when i look at like the design industry a lot of the people that are most famous in it are they're famous for, for what they've created and and i i don't think i'll ever be that person so i've always felt a bit of an imposter in it
2: really
0: yeah
1: yeah totally i mean i th- because i haven't really well, done got
0: jkr is really impressive stuff it's uh, i mean
1: throughout your whole career but it's just in it's more intangible i guess like what True. what what jkr's achieved is really is really incredible i think you know and i'm incredibly proud of like what a great team effort we've all done to like yeah, change perceptions internally and externally of the business you know because at the time when i joined jkr like People were like leaving in their droves, and it wasn't it wasn't a happy place. And wow, really? Yeah, like it was still a very well respected place, but it it was you worked very hard, and everything still went through Ian. And, yeah, and Ian and like Tosh's way of thinking about things changed things. And then Guy, yeah. when he came in, I think as CEO, like like bought in some really. Good habits from ad agencies that we learned from.
2: Yeah, okay. And then I
1: think Ian then inverts, he calls it inverting a triangle where everything went through Ian to like Ian saying, right, we're going to run JKR from now. Like, I don't even want to see the work. Like, you're all in charge yeah. of it.
0: So he stops being that bottleneck. And yeah. That and yeah. that
1: change of mindset just unlocked everything, really. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. The, the last few years have just been, it's been great. It's just great seeing people come through. Like, I, I'm really proud that we have got a bunch of people, particularly in London, who, I probably have three different careers at JKR. Like one yeah, of our okay. one of our creative directors, Chris Sharp, he came in as an account manager. Uh-huh. And then he became a copywriter and now he's a creative director. And like Brilliant. Dan Kennington, who's now a creative director at Turner Duckworth, he worked in Workshop and then he started doing experiments in animation. And then he became like he had his own film and motion department and built that up here. And now he's like creative director over at T D. So I I, I, yeah, I, I really, really I really feel like what I've tried to keep alive here is like that feeling of college where you can kind of come here and like find your feet and figure out what you want to do.
0: Foundation course within design type thing of finding your feet around that. Yeah.
1: Like, like if someone, like I have people come to me sometime and go like, I want to be a digital designer. And I'm like, you've got to meet us halfway, but you know, you've got to like show us like you've got an interest in this. And I'm not going to just like change your job overnight and like make you like, take you off the books and like have you doing this without if you've never shown any desire or drive in your personal time but if people show me that they're passionate about something and they're interested in it I will always try over time to find a way to kind of get them to do that permanently and like have their career like ebb and flow a bit so we've
0: yeah that works really well doesn't it so
1: yeah we've brought in some like job titles here that like I don't think that kind of don't run sync with the rest of the design industry which has caused us a few headaches figuring out how to make it work but I think the feedback from the team has been like, "Oh, this has been really good, actually, because otherwise, I, I feel like, I was starting to get bored in my job, and I feel like we've now found like a new level for it to kind of go to."
0: Yeah, that's really good. We've brought in
1: this design lead role now, where it's for, it's for people that kind of want to earn the money of a DD or a mm. CD, but don't want to come off the you know the creativity.
2: Yeah, okay. So we've
1: kind of got this alternate career path for those for those for that talent now. Yeah,
0: that's really smart way of running things. You keep the best people. Keep- yeah. Can I ask you about how you inspire yourself? What's the? Do, do you have a way of sort of inspiring your own creativity?
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I've I I'm not sure. Like I I've I've often been a bit of a believer in like it comes from not I like I, I, I when I sometimes look on, on like staff channels and things like everyone's all over like campaign magazine or they're all like, have you seen what this company's up to and whatever? Like if I'm honest, like I try not to look too much at what a lot of other companies do. Like you can't help it when you're doing like awards judging and you're in that sort of cycle of the year. You do end up seeing good bits of work. But if I'm honest, I try and just listen to music and podcast and play video games and almost like look for ideas out of
2: of category. Yeah,
1: Because I I, I feel like everything's looking a bit samey at the moment. Uh, yeah, and, a lot of the criticism. Yeah, it just, it, I feel like in some respects, like over time now, as the industry's matured, we've just figured out a lot of what works. Yes. But unfortunately, a lot of people have done that now. Yeah. And so, like, things that you were doing 10, 15 years ago that maybe made you stand out as an agency because it was like, wow, how are they doing that thing? Yeah, You know, a lot of people from left here to go on and do that elsewhere or, you know, other companies have done that. And, you know, like Turner Duckworth and Koto, I think, philosophically think similar to how we do. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: So, you know, I think it gets harder and harder to know how to pull your work apart. So what I try and do is like almost like look at what's going on in like indie video gaming or like certain genres of music I like and and almost like look for inspiration there more than in our own industry, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: To I mean you're gonna get different ideas, isn't it? I like
2: it.
1: Yeah.
0: That sounds really good. That's uh, can I ask you about our own industry, sort mm. of What part do you feel part of the design industry? Do you think is there anything you find challenging about of it? About sorry, um, do you anything I, you find challenging about it?
1: Yeah, I, I do and I don't. Like I I I do the nature of my job means I definitely feel more part of it than I ever have done, in terms yeah. of like because I've had to like, you know, do PR piece in the past or Yeah you know uh, you know just over time of in this role because of helping with like dnad shift and things like that you do just meet more people yeah so, I, so yeah, I, I do feel like it now in that i have you know colleagues and friends in it that i can talk to about design and that i i know because of it but as an industry like i've always felt for some reason and I it's it probably just comes back to my roots and also this whole imposter syndrome thing of like putting my work out there myself but yeah I've often felt like I'm a bit of a fraud in that I'm running a business that's very good at design but really it's the people below me that should be getting the credit for a lot of it because other than like pointing them in a direction here and there or whatever like but
0: that's obviously what makes a big difference isn't it it's like I think I think most people have got some imposter syndrome on some level but it is just if there's no one pointing them in the right direction and making sure it's all going in the right way yeah they wouldn't be going in the right way which
1: yeah, I think I've realised my superpower is like knowing what's right for a brand yeah, and exactly. what's wrong quite instinctively. But what I struggle is when I can I can do the big upfront stuff quite well, but when it gets into like the crafting, making it look beautiful, case studies, yeah. that sort of stuff, that's where I'm like, oh god, I'm really bad at this stuff. Like this is where I just have to tap out and let someone else do it. Yeah, you
0: don't have to be good at everything. No, so that big overall picture is really important. Yeah. So. Could we finish by me asking you about juniors starting today? Mm. What tips would you have for them to stand out, basically, to make an impression?
1: I I, I feel like it's um, I feel like it's a double-edged sword these days in terms of like getting into design. Like in some respects, I think we've done a terrible job as an industry to make people aware of us and the education in this country.
2: Yeah, I agree. The way
1: that arts is being funded. Like I see it with my own yep. kids. Like you know, they have to take their own art equipment into school pretty much, so if they want to do any art, yeah, like, it, the art teachers are all gone, like, arts funding's gone, like, it's been removed from curriculum, so it's I so think... It's so
0: stupid, it's really... It's, yeah, it's deeply
1: concerning, me. and I, mm. you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to do a few bits and the pieces with with Jack over at d and and a couple of colleagues I've got where
2: yeah. we're
1: trying to do something about it because I, I, I think if the industry doesn't start playing a role in trying to do something about it as well and they, if they keep thinking other people are going to do something about it I think we're going to be very quickly left with a complete yeah. lack of talent pipeline coming through I, completely I agree. don't think this industry does nearly enough to like give back it's, yeah. it's, it's quite a self-centred industry at times I think
0: yeah um, it'd be interesting to yeah, what we can do to change that structure? Yeah. So we are getting people interested and are getting that talent coming through, not yeah. just from the same places all the time.
1: Totally. Because yeah. I think you give so much of what you do in the day job to the projects. Yeah. And there's not always a lot left at the end of it, but I feel like yeah. it's, a, it's a double-edged sword of if we, you know, listening to a lot of the podcasts, you know, leading up to this one, almost everyone my age or just younger than me got into this through mechanisms or schemes or a chance thing that... probably doesn't exist anymore totally so you know it you know you do i am seeing like at a time when you hope that as a country we're getting more culturally diverse and multicultural yeah i'm seeing in the universities i'm going to that like if anything like the courses are getting kind of more like monoculture and like i don't feel the the industry is like being like as Advancing as progressively as you'd hope it would be compared to some others. Um, So I think that I think the the great thing about modern technology and platforms and just having smartphones and things like that is that almost anyone can be a creative now with technology in a way that maybe I couldn't back then. Yeah, true. But I think the obviously the horrendous cost that a lot of younger, like a longer younger member of staff, have to endure with like everything now means that. You can't sofa surf and get like a cheap place to rent in London, like, like but I could. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um, me
2: too.
1: So, so I think it's, I think it's, in some respects, I think that more, maybe more young people have got an awareness of design than I did, just purely because of things like brands like IKEA and, you know, Lego and Nike and Apple have elevated the role of design and even just when you turn tv on there's always like home improvement shows and like brand design so i think the word design is in culture more than it ever was when i was agree yeah at uni but i actually think the financial barriers to like getting into the industry are now probably harder than ever
0: so what do people do about that how do they change it i'm not sure there's a
1: well we're, we're trying to do a few things here to change it Mm. um we're learning as we go but we've started up the sparks program which is for school leavers oh
0: really that, okay yeah that's we're, cool
1: it's a little bit like dna d shift and we're partnering with dna d shift to try and learn from each other a bit at the moment yeah
0: i love dna d um, shift it's shift. a great
1: it's a really program really yeah really but i mean job. it's very hard to take um you know we've seen the feedback we've had from the people that have been on the program for the last two years is it's quite hard to go from school age leaving when you've not had yeah. university to almost like kind of Help you do those two or three years of growing up to yeah. go from school to like a professional environment is quite a sharp, yes. like overnight change.
2: Yeah. So agree. we're having
1: to like we're having to learn a load as a business of how to like help those people through and like how yeah. to be mindful of like not pressuring them too much and expecting too much too quickly. Yeah. But but I think we're living we're learning and like we're, I'm we're, I'm really keen to keep that alive because yeah like, that
0: sounds great.
1: I think it's as close as we'll we ever get to an apprenticeship kind of scheme here. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the ways that youth can get into the industry, though, is just by, in some respects, like, nothing's changed in another way, which is it is an industry. The only way you succeed in it is by being hungry and being almost like a self-starter. Yeah. And, like, everyone that's ever done well in design I've seen has largely done it by... Not realizing how good they are, and just keep asking and knocking on the door, and and like
0: totally I never think thinking really. that their last
1: job was their best work. Is yes. like the next one's the next one's the big one? The next one's the big one. Yeah. And, You know, if, if I look at everyone that's doing well in this industry, thriving, had their own companies, you know, still the best freelance on the circuit. It's because like they just work really hard, and it is it is an industry that I think you, if you cynically go into it because it pays well, I, I think you will get found out or you will just end up,
2: you yeah. know,
1: treading water. Like, I do think Maybe, you have to love it a little bit.
0: I think you have to love it. I think you have to love it a lot. But it also does pay well. Yeah. Like you, I don't think, if you really want to just go into something that pay well, surely you'd be an investment banker or something like that. Totally. You're not going to. But I think it's important to realise that it also does pay well. You can yeah. earn, like, a decent money out of it. You can earn really good it. money. Like, yeah. you
1: know, yeah, it, You know it. It it saddens me, really, that, like, my family are all, like, I come from a family of like fishermen, farmers, yeah, f- fire officers, like teachers, and most of our midweight designers probably earn more than any of those people do. Yeah, and course. you think about those jobs that are literally holding society together. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's criminal, fair. really. It you know, it's 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 shameful. But at the same time, we're in a very fortunate position that we get to have fun in our job and
0: totally we get
1: paid really well for it. And yeah, I absolutely. don't think enough people kind of. We don't showcase that enough and I don't think people realise that enough. Agree.
0: Really. How do people get in touch if there are people out there that want to get in touch with you about Sparks programme?
1: Um, Is it on your website? Yeah, it's on our website. We, we distribute it when we where we take on people we won't be doing that until probably like March next year again now
0: brilliant okay. um,
1: and also if you follow Creative Lives in Progress yeah, um, they tend to be our like partner who distribute a lot of the information around that as brilliant. well
0: brilliant yeah they're a really good organisation to get in touch with
1: and- absolutely they're yeah. worth they're worth following in general definitely. Yeah, yeah they
0: are fantastic thank you so much for being on the podcast I nice really right. enjoyed talking to
1: you nice pleasure thanks Claire. thank you